0: Hey, this is Hannah Cravens from Oakland Christian Church, and you're listening to Grace Story Podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. I'm glad you've joined us for this episode. I always, I I feel like I say it every time, Uh, This episode is somehow special. This episode is great, but my goodness, I I sit here and and I talk to people who are way smarter than I am, who have a lot more life experience, and after each episode, uh, after I've learned something and pulled it in and then listened to it again as we've gone back and edited it, I feel like it really is a great episode so I am genuine uh, whenever I say that uh, I think you're really going to enjoy whichever episode we're in Uh, and this one is no different because we have Byron Keller um, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a second. But before we do that, if you want to be a part of this ministry, Grace Story Ministries, uh, if you want to be a part of the podcast, uh, you can do that while you're listening on your phone. You just text 44321, uh, and that'll pop up a secure way for you to send in your tax-deductible donation of any amount. Uh, We're coming to the end of the year here, and if you have uh, some charitable giving uh, left to do, uh, this is a great way to to make an impact, Uh, and if you enjoy the show, If you enjoy uh, what we do here, we'd love to have you be a part of it in a tangible way. Our guest today is Byron Keller. He is a trauma therapist in private practice out in Milwaukee, Oregon, uh, all the way out west. He has worked with survivors of physical, sexual, emotional, mental, and spiritual abuse for over 40 years. Byron has been certified by the American Academy of Experts in Traumatic Stress and is certified in EMDR with a specialization in dissociative disorders. Byron is presented on various childhood trauma recovery themes around the country at churches, social services agencies, public and private schools, colleges, universities, and professional conferences, such as the one we met him at. And that's the AACC, uh, where he was, uh, letting us know about the story informed trauma therapy or S I T T sit therapy. Um, that's for recovery from early childhood trauma, which he is the author and developer of, uh, And when we heard him, uh, As I sat there, I knew we had to get him on here. So Byron brings extensive knowledge, understanding, sensitivity, uh, certainly compassion and practicality. And I think you'll even see the humor uh, that he brings to this particular episode as we talk about the importance of our story in the shadow of a worldwide pandemic. While we're talking to Byron, uh, I'll have you go over to Instagram and you can follow our accounts there. My Grace Story is Amber's uh, personal blog. Grace Story Ministries uh, is one, and then Grace Story Podcast is another. Certainly go over to Facebook, click like and follow over there. And uh, there's rumblings that a YouTube channel is in the works here at Grace Story Ministries. Going to bring you a lot of uh, content over on that platform as well. All right, so uh, let's go to our conversation with Byron Keller right now. Byron, it is good to have you on Gray Story Podcast from all the way out there on the West Coast. How, how's the weather looking like out there today?
1: Same as most every other day uh, after uh, the summer passes. It's rainy and drizzly and
0: cool. Any of any of that smoke stuff uh, still lingering around? I know you guys had issues with that. That's all cleared?
1: Yep. The, um, the rains have uh, squelched the fire and uh, we're doing fine now.
0: That's good to hear. And, you know, over here on the East Coast, uh, I don't know if you guys have been experiencing over there, but a pandemic is about, um, (laughs) it seems it's everywhere, of course. And as a counselor yourself, uh, and and then as just a regular human being who has to deal with a pandemic, what has it been uh, like out on the West Coast for you as far as mental health and actually just dealing with a global pandemic?
1: Exhausting. In a word. In fact, I think that's probably one of the typical words that people bring in when they come in and sit down on my love seat is that I'm just so tired and exhausted. Um, We are uh, in the middle of something that in 40 years of being a therapist, I have never seen Mm. Uh, just the the level uh, and intensity that people uh, are struggling with. So
0: we're in a hard place. Well, and, and with that, I mean, the, the part of the exhaustion of it has got to be, it seems like it's never ending. Um, I know as a nurse, it's like, I would love to take off this mask and stop doing these precautions and just visiting hours seem to change every other week based on whatever they're doing up there in the front office. Um, but I mean that eternity of unknowing, how does that translate into mental health?
1: Well, I think, a lot of things are happening for folks all at once, but certainly the sense of unknown creates for most of us um, an anxiety and, and maybe even a depression. In that, a lot of times you can tolerate circumstances you don't like if you know the end is coming. You know, I, uh, when I go to the dentist, uh, for a half hour or an hour, I know, okay, I just got to get through, you know, th- this next hour and it's going to be okay. But I think with the pandemic, especially with so many startups and and then shut back down again, it's, and, and even now as we enter the fall again, I can see the anxiety where it's like, are masks going to be the new normal? Is, is this what it's going to look like indefinitely? So I think that's troubling for people for sure.
0: Well, I can see how there'd be trouble. It's, I experienced it personally with that that impact. Is there going to be a long term impact that this will have on people people's mental health, or do you think we're going to be able to, I don't know, just triage it and then move past <laughs> it uh, once we know it's ending? What does that long term impact look like?
1: I think that the next wave of the pandemic, or surge, if you will, will be one of mental health. Like I, that's on the cusp right now. That's what's going to be happening. For, I think, the next four or five years, uh, maybe uh, longer than that, the pandemic is going to define this generation uh, and era as we move forward. To give you an idea, Nate, um, after 9-11, 20 years ago, okay, after 9-11, how did our world change? Y- you know, airports are um, more stressful and more challenging. Like, there were permanent changes that were left behind after 9 After 9-11, which was localized to one area, so you have to think of this as, okay, that trauma occurred in New York. This trauma is happening globally. After the trauma in New York, um, there were increases in depression, anxiety, substance abuse, alcohol consumption, sleeping problems. For the three years after 9-11, there was a 65% increase in um sleep medications nationwide. Not just in New York, nationwide.
0: That is very depressing to <laughs> hear. You're not offering a lot of hope there. Uh, not which, yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean because especially my generation, which I'm proudly a millennial, uh, we we bridge that gap where no one seems to like us. But with, with that, you know, we lived through that time, um, a lot of us, and we remember it. And then here comes another pandemic or life-changing event. Um, and it just goes to me. I want to ask the question, like, what is the hope for someone like me and my generation who we keep on having these huge events? And you talk about we just moved out of Afghanistan and, you know, uh, that Double decade, however long, war where our lives have just uh, been impacted by catastrophe and bad news and war, and then a pandemic. Uh, Moving through that, are there things in response to this pandemic um, that that we are going to that you see us uh, as human beings experiencing um, that are leading to these types of things that you're talking about the the sleeplessness? What are those things that we're experiencing? We're going through and not just the event, maybe.
1: Yeah, I th- I think, Nate, for, for many people, there is this general anxiety below the surface that they're not quite sure what to identify it, uh, how to identify it. Like, where is this coming from? I know I'm just exhausted, or I know that I'm just uh, nervous, but I can't really connect it to anything. The defining feature of any trauma is a sense of powerlessness, and helplessness. So that's by definition what kind of defines trauma. And and we're denied choice. So when you think of whether it's a hurricane or a physical assault or an abusive environment or a pandemic, you're denied choice. And that's what is so uh, hurtful. And I think that right now what we're having happen with the pandemic is that in the midst of all that's being taken away from us, can't go to your restaurants you you know can't go outside without a mask or in the store of all the things that are being taken away from us um all of us are doing four things and it seems like that that might be helpful for us to talk about
0: yeah let's go to those four things right now because in in a sidebar with this It's interesting to hear you talk about trauma or these events as trauma for all of us, because I know there's people out there and I've heard them in conversation say, man, this is great to learn about for the people in my life who have had trauma. Fortunately, I have not experienced any trauma. And I just kind of nod my head like, yes, of course. But the meaning you've attached to that trauma, we've all experienced trauma. It's what the meaning is for you. I think there's good clarification there. But with that, understanding we've all had trauma, Mm -hmm. what are those four things that you're talking about in relation to that trauma?
1: All right. First, and I think that this is probably most important and most subtle, is that we are all reliving our own childhoods in some ways right now and often the worst parts of them. So whether that was roles that we played as kids or old feelings are resurfacing, uh, defensive and coping mechanisms that we used when we were young, those are being activated and employed. Crisis draws us back into our stories with a ferocity unlike anything else.
0: I, I want to dig deeper here because I can hear some naysayers in my head uh, that are talking about, you know, it, saying in it, maybe critically, this is why we shouldn't go to counselors because they're just <laughs> on that Freudian stuff of your mother and your childhood. <laughs> and so I want to give you an opportunity right here at the outset with people who may be critically thinking or not critically thinking, but critical of uh-huh. um, Christian counselors and those who counsel through a Christian worldview. Is this just some Freudian garbledy gook that we're going to look at paintings and pictures and ink splotches, um, or or Uh is this something that uh, uh, counseling is a biblical concept and looking Uh at our story specifically, our story Uh informed trauma therapy, which we'll talk more about later, Uh is this a biblical concept as well?
1: I believe Nate that we either know, understand, and accept our stories or our stories live us. Mm. I, the longer I've been a therapist, the longer I've been alive, the more convinced I've become that it is really all about our stories at the end of the day. You and I are having a conversation right now because you and I went to school. <laughs> like like we learned uh, the alphabet, we learned <clears throat> the multiplication table, we learned how to um, relate and converse. All right. <clears throat> it seems... N- odd to me that we would assume then that when we appreciate the fact that school educated us to engage, we deny or question what we learned from probably the most important place, which was home. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Like
1: Mm -hmm. growing up, we weren't learning the alphabet. We were learning to smile or we were learning our value or we were learning how to relate to other people. And those experiences shaped us into who we are. And so you can call it Freudian or you can call it whatever you want, but we all pretty much grew up in families that had enormous impact on us and how we relate to our world around us. And that's our stories.
0: I think with that, you know, storytelling and learning from stories is is all through the Bible, parables, but specifically, relearning <laughs> our stories um, is, is, is a biblical concept. Absolutely. Let's go to those four things now that you were talking about. Uh, the first one you said is we're reliving our childhood stories. Uh, we clarified that this is not an ink blotch uh, Freudian concept, um, but it is something we absolutely have to know to understand ourselves uh, moving forward. Yeah. And I'll throw that back to you on those.
1: Okay. So let me give you an example from my therapy office. Um, I uh, have a client who comes in first thing in the morning and um, she's very upset because uh, our governor has mandated uh, masks in uh, all public places. And um, she says, I I can't believe it. Um, I'm not going to be bossed around. I'm sick and tired of people telling me what to do. Well, as we lean into her story, what I already know about where she grew up was she had an overbearing mom controlling critical of her and so so my governor which is a woman ends up being an easy um connection an easy projection if you will and now she's being bossed around again by her mom <clears throat> because the governor wants her to wear a mask so her reaction about the mask isn't so much science-based, if you will, is much as story-based, where it's like, yeah, I don't I don't want people pushing me around. Now, the next client comes in, sits down, starts to cry, and says, I was just in the store, and people aren't wearing masks, and I can't believe that they don't care enough about me. And we could be talking about vaccines. We could be talking about a lot of things, okay? But the point is that her family's situation was that her parents were neglectful, didn't nurture and care for her, didn't protect her around the harms in the world. And so she's reacting out of that part of her story. Both of them take an opposite position about masks, for instance, but they both have different stories that have influenced how they experience now this most current trauma.
0: That's, that's a very interesting and compelling example because, you know, it's, like you said, not actually about the thing that they have decided on Mm -hmm. their stories have now informed which direction they're going to go on the, the, and I don't want to, this is where we could drag in bias or whatever, but you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. their stories, if we, if they understood more about their story, which you have helped them understand, Mm -hmm. then they may be able to look objectively and we're not going to take a position on masks or vaccines here today. Mm -hmm. um, But it may help them look objectively at data um, rather than being steered to a point, a preconceived point, um, and then taking the data that only supports that place in life for them. Uh-huh. Um, and, and this I I the one thing that I really notice out of those stories is this has real implications for these individuals, whether it's their health, whether it's their social circles, uh-huh. circles that they're in, their family. Um, and it goes also to maybe even the way mm-hmm. they vote for that governor um, and the way they interact mm-hmm. with society. Sounds like yeah. it could be crippling in a way if you don't understand your story.
1: Right. And and our stories choose a variety of things. Like I, I my bias would be that um, our stories help choose our partners, what who we're drawn to and why. You're a nurse, Nate. Mm-hmm. I'm a therapist. Now, I could make, I think, some pretty decent guesses about why you're a nurse. Okay. You growing up in a family system where in some form or fashion, you were taking care of people or played a role of rescuing people become firemen for a reason. Now that doesn't disqualify us. Like I, I grew up taking care of people in my family. So it's no surprise. I'm a therapist and take care of people and, 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 or you're an accountant. And your story, you like everything in black and white and ones and zeros that you can keep track of and make sense of. So I think our stories just have enormous influence and the current trauma drags us back into them.
0: So when you're talking about current trauma, bringing us back into those stories, how does it bring us back into those stories? Is that the live, our story living us out that you're talking about? Yeah, great question.
1: I'll I'll illustrate it in this way. <clears throat> I was a first responder after Hurricane Katrina, and so um, I was meeting with people for short thirty minute sessions, from early morning till late at night, kind of doing critical incident response, kind of helping them debrief their experience. Um, person after person after person, they would come into the uh, room where I was uh, meeting with them, and I would say. What did you lose? Tell me a little bit about what's happening for you. And they would tell me, I lost my church or I lost my community or my home or whatever. And then almost without exception, even as a therapist, it surprised me. They would then transition the conversation to something like this. But that's not what I need to talk about. Mm. What I need to talk about is um, that uh, my brother committed suicide when I was 16 And I don't know that I've ever gotten over it or I was raped at a party when I was 15 or my stepdad molested me when I was seven. Like they just described all of these various traumas that they had experienced growing up and what was happening. Technically, it's called state dependent memory. That what was happening for them was the current state of anxiety was bringing those stories to the surface begging to be addressed. So when we feel like we're, here would be an easy example. Have you noticed that songs take you a place? Mm. You'll hear a song and it'd be like, oh yeah, this was when I was in a senior in high school. And like, it'll take you back into a particular spot. That's kind of a state dependent memory where it's like, yep, I have an association with this. Well, the state that we are in currently with the pandemic is unknown, powerless, feeling scared, on edge. That propels us back into similar times.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is much, much like. Uh, The smell of popcorn may take me back to a particular sleepover where I just had the greatest time of my life and we watched that hilarious movie and everything was cool and I had my three best friends and that was a great weekend. The same way that that smell of popcorn takes me back to a good memory the crisis that we've been living through for the last two however many years it's going to go on Uh is taking me back to crises after crisis after crisis in my life and reminding me of all the bad times in my life where i may have lost my choice or i may have lost control Uh or all those things and and that's informing the way i behave is that fair
1: yes it's very fair and accurate now to add one more layer to it for people so that they understand this because when you say i'm remembering Mm. people will say well i'm not remembering those terrible things okay but subconsciously they are running in the background Mm. so that is kind of like the iceberg you know where so much of it is under the water level is that a lot of this is just stirring up things um, subconsciously for people that they aren't even identifying they just know, I feel anxious. I feel nervous. And then when you ask, did you feel anything like that growing up? Well, yeah. Oh, <clears throat> and what were the circumstances around that? And then they're able to identify it and tie it together. But for a lot of us, it just runs undercurrent.
0: So not to get too far off the rails here, because we do need to get to the other three <laughs> parts one. of the fourth, but we, we had an episode with Dr. Seth uh, Scott, I believe, uh, and, and he was breaking down cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And within that, he talked about one of the first things that he may have to do for you is bring you down and teach you how to come down from those high anxiety moments with things like grounding technique or visualization. And also if you're not there in crisis, teach you, bring you to that point and teach you how to come back down as he's going to work through your story. So he, we have the tools in place to bring you back down. Um, is that something that, that correlates with this of what you're talking about as well?
1: Well, right. I think that, um, just understanding that my story is being activated. Like one of the things that I would want people to walk away with from this conversation is that all of our stories are being activated. And if you can recognize that, then you have a little more control over it. We tend with trauma to either react or reenact our past trauma. And um, the, the goal would be to act, which is begins with awareness awareness invites choice choice consistently done invites transformation act and so the first step i think in helping ground or regulate is to have the awareness that something is going on with me here um, more than i recognize and here's a principle for that the greater the intensity of our reaction the higher the likelihood that's connected to our
0: stories. So this, just before we move to the next point, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's important to, to, and this is a realization for me, because I've always, as we're going through grace story, grace story ministries, we've always had an emphasis on how much your story matters and that it's important with the right person or the right time to tell your story. And I think what you've done here and what we'll do through the rest of this episode as well is take that to another level of your story matters, not just because you matter and not just because you have value, but because your story is the key to everything about you um, yes. and understanding your story and understanding yourself subsequently through that story um, and the 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 rhythms, the cycles of that story. Is going to help you have a better relationship, a more complete relationship with God and live that abundant life that God talks about that we all want so much. Um, Your story matters is a whole nother level than just it's cool to tell your story.
1: Absolutely. It, It is the key, I think, to both understanding and to us being able to relate in a healthier and more wholesome way, for sure.
0: So we've talked about that reliving the childhood trauma. Um, can Mm -hmm. you take us into that second uh yeah there's at least four things you were wanting to talk about but that second part
1: yes not only are we all reliving our stories but we are all grieving in this season to differing degrees but we're all grieving Um, trauma takes something away from us uh, that we value our freedom our choice our safety our comfort our opportunities um as individuals and as a country, and I would argue as the world, mm. we are all grieving right now. And when you understand that we're all grieving, that helps you be more compassionate, I think, to yourself and to the people around you. Because the bottom line is um, we're not really good at grieving. And most of us are not at our best when we are
0: grieving. Well, hopefully some of us don't have a lot of practice with grieving. Um or, or should we have practice with grieving? Should we recognize the little moments in our life uh, that are, are something that it's okay to grieve as well? Um, I don't, <laughs> we're, we're tripping up on well, some concepts here.
1: <laughs> well, um, we're going to take it back to the hub of our stories again, is that, Nate, you and I learned to a great degree how to grieve from the families that we grew up in. If we watch grieving being modeled where people were sad and crying and distraught and openly expressing those things, then you and I are more likely with that model to grieve well ourselves, openly express those things. If we grew up in a home, and I would argue this is probably far more common, where grieving wasn't done in a healthy fashion, uh, it was denied or deflected or avoided. Then you and I picked up that part of our story, that modeling, and we then would probably more likely struggle with grieving
0: in the here and now. I I, I, I can attest to being in that latter group <laughs> of someone where uh, my mom is an emergency department nurse. I'm an emergency department nurse. So it. It actually kind of helps us in our profession to be able to yep. compartmentalize. I mean, I just had a patient die on me this week. Uh, we worked on him for a while, 50 minutes. It uh, mm-hmm. it didn't work out. Um, and with that, we also had to immediately exit that room and go back over to the other patient and jump in and give the Tylenol. Um, so that compartmentalization works in that instance, but it also hurts uh, mm-hmm. the grief process for other parts of, of my life, um, without getting too vulnerable. Um, but I mean, you know, it's exactly not that I'm stoic at a, at a, at a funeral, but it's just like, it's, this is, this has happened. Um, I recognize that it has happened. Um, let's Uh move on, (laughs) you know? Right. Yeah. And that,
1: that you would be drawn even to nursing because of that ability to compartmentalize Okay, not just that it worked out well for you um, in that particular career, but that you're drawn to it. And therapists have to compartmentalize as well. We get good at that. And so, yeah, but in your personal relationships, then it's like, why are you cold and unfeeling and I'm hurting here? Where's the empathy? You know, the, then it becomes problematic for us.
0: And on that grief topic, I mean, we we have recognized that there's so much grief going on. Ryan Waters, our counselor here at uh, Great Story Ministries, he did a two part episode on grief, and you know, making sure we know it's a it's a process that is not just the top of the mountain. You get there, it's done, it's over. It's not a ladder that you reach the top rung and you're like, yes, I did it, which is not working for people like me because I want the process, I want the score and I want to achieve it in five steps instead of six because we can move expeditiously through that. Um, No, it's a reoccurring lifelong journey of you're missing something. There's a part of you or a part of something gone that will echo in your life uh, throughout the cycles and, and, and rhythms of your life.
1: Yes, so glad you brought that up because I think for many people, grief, the way we've been taught it, is there's five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And we think of that as almost moving from first grade to second grade. You know, I passed denial. Now I'm going to be able to go to anger. And I tell people, no, actually a more accurate view is that those are ingredients in the stew, Mm. okay? That are all being mixed together. And so we're experiencing them and re-experiencing them. And, And again, Nate, as you look at our country, look at those five stages where um, people are moving in and out of them in a variety of ways. Um, The, the anger, Mm -hmm. like it's no surprise what happened at the Capitol on January 6th to trauma therapists. (laughs) And that's not a political statement at all. It's just like, nope. And um, homicides in Portland, Oregon, are up 740% in the last year.
0: Wow.
1: There have been 273 mass shootings in 2021 by June. Mm. So when you think about bargaining, well, we'll just change the count, or we'll just do this, or we'll just do that, or you know, um, maybe we won't have to wear masks if we do this. And all, all of bargaining, the anger, the denial, this COVID isn't even real. Sure. Okay. Like all of those things are part of a grief response. And so for us to realize, oh, shoot, we're all grieving and we're not good at it. And it's messy and sloppy. And we got to be uh, kinder and nicer to each other <laughs> in the midst of this time where we've lost so much.
0: Well, that, that informs also, like you, you just alluded to, my conversations, heaven forbid it's on Facebook, uh, with other people. If I know we're all actively grieving and someone, when I post something that I feel on my page, is going to help or assist in some way, um, and all I get back is vitriol, anger, uh, denial, um, all these things, I I can graciously... And, and as much as I can, trying to be the hands and feet and attitude and body of Christ back, yep. have compassion and speak words of love as much as I can, while also maintaining my own boundaries, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and, and yeah, it really informs how you interact with other people through a collective trauma.
1: Yes. And how you see yourself in the midst of that. Like, like for us to recognize, oh, part of grieving is to be depressed because we've lost things rather than, oh no, I'm depressed. And so like all the commercials on TV, I got to rush out and find a pill uh, because I shouldn't be feeling this when it's like, no, actually you kind of should be feeling this. We don't get to go to our restaurants anymore. And we got to go back to our car to get our mask a hundred times a day. Cause we forgot it, you know, that that's just, it takes a lot of emotional energy to navigate our world um, today than it uh, did before.
0: Well, and I like that you put that emphasis on understanding ourselves as well, because there are those that would capitalize on that for whatever gain they want, uh, whether that's in, in the church or politics or a, a local business or whatever that may be, you know, playing on those emotions because marketing people are pretty smart uh, in how they mm-hmm. attach onto what we're doing. Um, yeah. So, man, the, the collective grief. I love that. in the, the third thing that you're wanting to talk mm-hmm. about that we're experiencing what is that
1: uh, um this one will be a little uh, probably more delicate okay in that um psychology 101 some of you may remember classes where um you engaged in what was called a values clarification exercise Sure.
0: yeah
1: um you know nuclear war had happened and you had space for 10 people in the bunker <laughs> yeah. which 10 people you know was a common one lifeboat you know, it's thinking who do you put in the doctor, the engineer, or the prostitute.
0: Mine was a trolley that you had to like sacrifice somebody to down. Yes. The, you could either wreck the trolley with 10 people <laughs> or save the person with the baby on the tracks. But you couldn't do both. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So those
1: are called those are called a values clarification exercise. And, and the intent behind that, Nate, is to clarify what do you really hold as a priority? What's really most important to you? So those were intended to reveal our value system. Well, you and I with the pandemic are living that Mm -hmm. like it's not hypothetical. It's real. And so we're forced now to um, choose some values for us. And some of that is examples of that would be personal freedoms versus public responsibility,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: health issues, versus economic security. Don't close my restaurant down, we gotta feed people. Vulnerable populations versus individual convenience. Religious liberty, dare I say, versus community safety. Care for my neighbor, care for myself. Like all of those are value areas that we are having to navigate and negotiate in real time in real life circumstances. And I don't have to tell you that hasn't always played out real well so far.
0: Well, I don't know why you call that uh, delicate at all. There, there's no, <laughs> there's no <laughs> landmines. You just, <laughs> you just talked yeah, well, about. <laughs> okay,
1: good. I didn't, I didn't kind of, you know, <laughs> um, hint at my side of those things. There.
0: Yeah. No, that, no, that, because <laughs> uh, as, as someone's listening through that, even that is is an exercise in and of itself because they're going, hmm, uh-huh. okay, I, I'm on that side. Oh, that one. I'm on that side. Oop, on that one. Yeah. On that one, actually, why can't it be both? Okay. You know, it's it's uh-huh. people are going through that and it's not that you're saying which side anybody should be on. Again, for clarification, this uh-huh. is not an episode about what is right, what is wrong with public health policy right. and politics today. But it it's about what we're experiencing through them and what we're all going through collectively through it. Um, yeah. So when people come into your office and it sounds like they already have talking about these things <laughs> from both sides, um, and you're not giving out you know want your advice one way or the other. That's not a counselor's job, but. What, what exercises are you doing? Are there exercises that you're doing to counteract this? Or are there ways that you're equipping people to deal with these value um, uh, trivia questions from Hades? Like, <laughs> how, are, no. how are you walking people through, through this? Because uh, you're obviously seeing them experience it.
1: Right. Well, I think that part of the purpose of therapy is to help people see themselves more clearly. And so in a values clarification exercise, it's like, okay, you can choose, like you're pointing out, you can choose either side, that's all right, but can you own your choice? Like, can you acknowledge, yep, I'm choosing this over this, and I feel comfortable with that, that's a reflection of the values that I really do hold, I'm okay with that. And I and I think Nate for thus for those of us in the church, that really does get tricky because um, oftentimes we'll um, preach one value and then dare I say live another one. And it's it's a time, it's a season in our culture where that's more challenging. <laughs> like, like those inconsistencies are more exposed in the midst of a pandemic.
0: I think it's it's safe to say generations uh, that are up and coming uh, one of the clarific or the, the defining characteristics of those generations X and, and on down, whichever number they're assigned to, they're really good at seeing baloney when they hear it. like it's mm-hmm. no we, th- this is not lining up together. Um, Mm -hmm. And and one more observation as I hear you're saying that when people are, we're saying, are you going to be okay with this? One of the reoccurring things, another emotion that is very, very um, tacit is there's going to be guilt attached to your decision, whichever way you go. I don't want to feel guilty. Guilt, guilt, I hate more than, than being sad or being mad. (laughs) In fact, being sad and being mad manifest out of feeling guilty. Um so guilt itself is a motivator and it's a non like I don't get to pick what what I, whatever I do I'm going to feel guilty this is terrible too like okay I'm just going to do nothing
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> which
1: then you can feel guilty about
0: <laughs> exactly I'm um, going to need a counselor for that I guess I don't
1: <laughs> <laughs> right for sure well I think the hope again would be that any of us would use this current pandemic as an opportunity to settle with ourselves, to say, "Yep, this really is where I land," um, and and that that be an exercise in being authentic, and congruent, and integrated, where it's like, "Yep, this is the truth."
0: I'm choosing this. So I'm I'm hearing you say that even though we have we have established that this crisis, this pandemic we're living through is taking us back to things we don't, it's digging up stuff that we don't Mm -hmm. want to think about. Um, And it's creating an environment where grief is just omnipresent. Uh, And then also it's forcing us into these decisions and clarifications of our values that we never thought we, we could have gone to our grave without addressing. You're reframing it. And if I'm understanding cognitive behavioral therapy correctly reframing is a big part of that you're reframing it to an opportunity instead of just something that's happening to us we can now reframe it to something we can control which is i get to clarify i get to understand my story more i get to move forward from this without it overcoming me is is that a fair uh uh uh, summarization of what what you're talking about
1: well, you've beautifully segued us into number four, <laughs> <laughs> which is fourth, we're all being invited into understanding ourselves in a more meaningful way, okay, is that um, it's, it's an opportunity to develop a deeper and I think a richer internal world. Um, we lived prior to pandemic. We lived in a world filled with distractions. Uh, we could keep ourselves busy. We could go out. We're watching sports, all of that. And what I've seen is it, it's almost, um, and I um, I don't want to blame God for this, but <laughs> it's almost a God-imposed season of Lent
0: mm-hmm.
1: where it's like, okay, everybody, it's time to give up stuff. Now, you didn't vote on it. You didn't <laughs> volunteer for it. but. You're not going to get to watch basketball this season or football, or you're not going to be able to go to these places and enjoy. You're not going to be able to travel and do the, you know. And so we've lost all of that. And for many people, at least, Nate, that I see, they have used those things to distract themselves from themselves. Mm. I don't have to sit quietly with me. Uh, I, I can stay busy all of the time. And so the pandemic and the isolation that has been part of that has, I think, been excruciating for a lot of people who find it difficult to sit in their own skin. Wow. And so it gives us an opportunity when those distractions are removed to spend some time with ourselves um, and, and, see what's going on internally for us.
0: Well, reality is a lot harder, um, which is why when I hear that Facebook is planning on changing its name and creating a mega universe that is not real, that we can be whatever we want in, and they may just have the resources to make it happen. um, I view it as, First of all, I hate Facebook. <laughs> I hate what it it does. Um, right mm-hmm. now, it's a great—you can use it as a tool, um, but there's still a, a, a touch of poison to the apple. Um, oh, for sure. And it's just more to to distract us from ourselves. That reality—it is what it is, anyways. Mm-hmm. It's just whether we're actually seeing it, dealing with it, asking the hard questions, being authentic with it.
1: Yeah, and I think again, bringing it back to story is that when we have spent our lives running from the pain in our stories and now the very things that we have used to distract ourselves are no longer available, that's the flood right now that you are seeing in the mental health community mm. with therapists. Like 40 years, over 40 years I've been doing this and, and I haven't seen the flood like this before ever in my career. Every therapist I know is right now overwhelmed with referrals and needs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and I think that that, again, we're just on the cusp of this wave. This wave is going to dwarf some of the other surges medically that we've had where people are looking for help now that they're forced to face themselves as their stories bubble up and come to the surface.
0: Well, and, and speaking of the correlation to medical care, I'm not a big fan of insurance either being in the game myself. I don't, I'm waiting for them to do the cost differential of understanding the return on investment of helping people with their mental health before it becomes a crisis. And let's go ahead and cover it. <laughs> let's treat the yes. whole person. Um, Man, but that's, a, that's a whole nother sidebar, a whole nother tangent.
1: I was going to say <laughs> Kaiser has already done that
0: so, in the largest yeah, study. Somehow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. and the information is there. It'll only take, you know, 20 more years for the, uh, yeah, the money to catch up yep. to it. So all of this, and you've gone through four of those things that we're experiencing and fantastic insight, um, especially how it correlates to our need to walk through this with a professional. Um, mm-hmm. But, but with that, all of this is coming out of a concept that you have helped to create. Uh, it has the SIT acronym or, or Story-Informed Trauma Therapy. Um, uh-huh. And I want to give you an opportunity to kind of I, break that down into 45 seconds or less. No, uh, but <laughs> in just a couple of minutes, um, you know, we've heard about trauma-informed care or, you know, we've learned about cognitive behavioral therapy. Here's another part of therapy um, that you're working with as a professional and have helped develop the story-informed trauma therapy. Can you just give us a brief overview of what that is and then why that therapy is effective with your clients?
1: Um, I I would describe story-informed trauma therapy as another therapeutic orientation. So cognitive behavioral therapy would be an example, somatic therapy, Uh, there's a variety. But um, story-informed trauma therapy is specifically for helping people move through and process and recover from trauma. Childhood trauma specifically. And, and here's, in short, now here's the problem. All of us avoid pain. You reach out, touch a hot stove, you recoil from that. You don't have to think about it. You know, boy, is this going to hurt my hand or burn me or something? You just, the reflex is to recoil. We all do that psychologically around painful events as well. We try to distract ourselves, find something else to think about, not remember it, all of that. The problem with that is it resurrects and continues to play itself out in our lives. So what we don't deal with, what we don't address comes back to bite us in a variety of ways. And then here's the catch what brings people into therapy is the same thing that brings people into the medical community. People don't come into the doctor's office and say, "Um, I've got, uh, you know, uh, cancer. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it's in my abdomen. Okay. They come in and they say, you know, I have this symptom or this symptom or this symptom, right? Right. And your job, is then to diagnose out of those symptoms. That's where the medical community, I think, is way ahead, unfortunately, of the psychological community. We still easily confuse the symptom as really the problem. Mm. So somebody comes in and they say, you know, I'm anxious. Oh, well, anxiety is the problem. Here, we'll give you this or do this. Rather than, why are you anxious? What's that an indication of? And then let's resolve that. And so story-informed or story um, informed trauma therapy attacks the primary issue, which I believe is trauma. And we want to avoid the trauma in our lives. And so if you just go to see a therapist who's non-directive, he'll just follow you or she'll just follow you wherever you go in therapy you don't get any better because the therapist is colluding with you in avoiding the very places that you need to go. Mm. I tell my clients, you're hiring somebody to take you where you don't want to go, which is return back to your trauma. That's unresolved, get it processed and resolved so that the symptoms go away.
0: And it, it, you may have to, uh, I would assume treat some symptoms to be able to dig deeper. But you don't uh-huh. just stop at the symptoms. I love that. And with that, uh, so I know that um, that you do uh, training for other therapists as well. Uh, uh-huh. So briefly, if because uh, I know this is, I have sidebar after sidebar, I may need medication for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but with that, if there there are resources that you have both for those that need therapy, the client, and for those that are doing the work, up to including. Uh, as I understand it, not just training them to utilize SIT, SITT, S-I-T-T, mm-hmm. um, but also to protect themselves uh, from mm-hmm. secondary trauma related to those that they're interacting with. Can you tell us where to find some of your resources and then uh, what they are? Yeah, Thank you. Uh,
1: my website is my name. So it is Byron, B-Y-R-O-N-K-E-H-L-E-R.com. Um, And there you'll find resources for both therapists as well as um, general public. For therapists, we're going to be doing our next training in January for story-informed trauma therapy. So if you're a therapist listening to this and you find it interesting and are curious about what story-informed would involve and what it would look like and how to get trained, then go to the website and click on that tab and it will take you through what that process would look like. So that's gonna be in January by webinar. So it'll be a national training. And then if you are um, someone who's recognizing that your story might be impairing your life and getting in the way, then on my website, there's also um, two or three tabs uh, for workshops that you can uh, purchase and watch at your own leisure uh, on uh, childhood trauma recovery on the untangled heart, which is uh, feeling regulation and identification, and then um, forgiveness, the topic of forgiveness, which I think has been really poorly addressed within the church historically. So those would be all resources of workshops that you could watch from your own computer at home.
0: There are a lot of things within the humanity of of the church that have been uh, misconstrued or Diluted or uh, maybe impressed too strongly uh, on, upon individuals. So I always love when there's something to clarify, bring us back to the Bible, uh, with, to uh-huh. use the tagline of my alma mater. Always coming back to the Bible, which is God's word, and practicing from that unchanging truth, or as you called it, the big yep. T truth. Uh, uh-huh. Well, we're almost we're almost out of time here, um, but I I always like to give the speaker. One opportunity to speak right to the listener. Uh, if there's something you could tell our listeners, just one thing about what we've talked about today, something you want them to really remember, or a next step for them after hearing this episode, uh, something of encouragement, maybe depends on you. But from Well, from I hope Byron. this
1: will be encouraging. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there was a I... lot of a lot of stuff in there, but uh, bringing it around mm-hmm. to there is hope through working through your story. I love that. But what would that word be from from Byron?
1: Well, yeah, I, th- I think where we began, which is we either know, understand and accept our stories or our stories live us and they live us in a variety of ways. So if people find themselves saying, how did I get here again? Deja vu all over again, like I- I'm drawn to the wrong people, I- I'm drawn to the wrong jobs, I find myself frustrated in the same kind of situations. That's a pretty good indication that your story is in play and we live what we learn and we're learning all the time as we're growing up and, um, and when the trauma is the teacher then those lessons that we learn are maladaptive for healthy living and so I would encourage you to explore um, in whatever way you can professionally um, how your story is playing out in your life to find greater freedom and relief and enjoy the quality of life uh, that I think God intended us to have.
0: I love that. I, I Because life, uh, the scripture tells us, it, it's just a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Um, I was reminded of, of uh, a book that I'm wanting to read uh, that it talks about our life on average is about 4,000 weeks. And when you start thinking about, I've got a little bit of time left here, And how am I going to use that to glorify God, first of all, because that's my ultimate purpose. But then also I can glorify God through enjoying his creation, enjoying his his uh, the relationships he brings to my life, enjoying the other image bearers of God that he brings into my life to help um, and have an impact with. Um, And if I know that understanding my story can can help with all that, um, then it glorifies God to work through that story. Um, so thank you thank you Byron for coming on this episode thank you for sharing thank you for what you do uh, in the community Um, you're making an impact I know and sometimes I'm sure it feels like a silent one because while the firefighters and the police and even this past year the nurses are all the heroes Mm -hmm. you know behind the scenes you're you're helping those heroes as well as well as everyone else so thank you from us and thank you for being on this episode you're very
1: welcome thank you for having me
0: What a great episode. I am very grateful that Byron Keller came on. Uh, He's one of the featured speakers uh, at the AACC. Uh, He's going to be there again in uh, September, I believe, is when their next uh, get-together is, um, I think, down in Texas. But he's one of those that, man, you sit and listen to him, and you you learn. You learn so much. He's a great individual. Talking to him in the pre-show, very personable, very uh, much approachable. Um, and very much has a heart for hurting people Uh, i'm very grateful we had him on here so much to unpack From this episode, Uh, if there's a particular part of this episode that was helpful for you, uh, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me a message, nate at ministries.com. And certainly while you're doing that, if you have topics you want us to explore or an expert you want us to have on, someone to share their story, we'd love to hear those uh, suggestions as well. Um, But, uh, you know, we'll be back in two weeks. We're out of time here, uh, but we'll be back in two weeks. We're going to be talking to Chrissy Garland. Uh, about uh, the events in her life Um, a lot there, spiritual abuse, uh, church trauma, um, loss of her husband uh, to suicide, um, all sorts of things, addiction. uh, There's just a lot in the next episode that we're going to have in two weeks. So I hope you come back for that. I know you will. Share this episode uh, or the podcast in general with two or three of your friends. That's the best way to spread what we're doing here. Uh, There's no us without you. So make sure you come back in two weeks for that next episode until then continue on your journey of restoration and we'll see you then